0: All right, so yeah, it is a loaded day today, Um, and uh, yeah, just know that that the stuff that we're doing, um, uh, all the activities that we're doing right now, those are individual people going, hey, I want to do this, right? Why don't we go to the pumpkin patch? Why don't we go to the archery range? Why don't we uh, have a bonfire at our house? Maybe you're the next one, right? Maybe you have something that you wanna do uh, at your place or that's interesting to you, and uh, I, I would bet that there's some other people that would be interested in that. So if you wanna do that, we call those things block parties, building life outside church, um, join in with that. But, uh, so yeah, hope you guys are doing great this morning. I am feeling good this morning. I am happy to be here um, with you. And uh, let me say buckle up this morning, all right? Buckle up, because I believe that God has a word that you need to hear, um, that there is somebody specific in here that needs to hear this word this morning. So um, we're still looking at this series called Broken Branches, and it's the kind of the tree, the family tree of Abraham is what we're doing. And, and so, you know, when you look at the stories that are involved in families or in, um, in Abraham's family tree, there are definitely some broken branches. There's definitely some broken relationships. There's definitely some broken um, ways that people relate to one another or that they operate in. And so we're gonna look at that. um, And we're continuing on again with that. And this week, uh, we're again, kind of going with that idea that we've said the last couple of weeks. um, And that is, don't let your... Family relationships, your human familiar relationships dictate the way that you view God or the way that you view uh, your, your uh, church family, all right? Like that's, that's a key statement from this series. Don't let your experience with human relationships, imperfect human relationships, dictate how you experience or what you expect from the church or from God. Um, that's one of those, that's a key statement for how we're doing this. Two weeks ago, we talked about Hagar and about how Hagar was uh, in her family with uh, Abram Abram and Sarai at that point, really just kind of used and abused and and pushed off to the side. Nobody really cared about what Hagar was interested in. Um, Last week, we talked about favoritism with Esau uh, and Jacob and with Isaac and Rebekah and their kids, Esau and Jacob, or Jacob and Esau, um, and how that favoritism, that atmosphere of favoritism creates competition and how when we see competition within the church, uh, or when we see favoritism within the church, or we see God having favoritism for other people, we feel a need to compete with other people in the church. The Christian life, your relationship with God is not a competition. It's not a competition. There's nobody to compete against. God doesn't have any favorites. Uh, he has enough attention and enough affection and enough love for everybody equally. So we don't have to worry about that. So there's no need to prove yourself. There's no need to out-Christian other people in order to maintain some kind of a status with God. This week, we are continuing with Jacob and with his uh, life story um, in, this, in this series, in this family line or the family tree. Um, and where we're gonna pick up this story, uh, so what's happened is we know last week or two, yeah last week we talked about Esau and Jacob and Jacob stealing or basically he didn't steal it he bought it Esau kind of gave it up willingly but he took the birthright okay well now um, as we continue on with that story Jacob not only uh, has taken the birthright but with the help of his mom Rebecca he has stolen lied cheated stolen his way uh, into or lied and cheated his way into stealing. Uh, Esau's blessing as well. So not only does he have Esau's birthright, but now he also has Esau's blessing uh, and, and Esau is not happy about that, all right? He specifically tells Jacob, he says, when dad dies, I'm gonna kill you. That's what he tells him. Specifically, he says, when I'm done, when the, time of, when the period of mourning for dad is over, I'm coming for you, okay? And uh, Jacob says, well, and I'm not sticking around here, right, I'm out. So Jacob leaves with the help of his mom um, Rebecca. And, uh, so she sends, Rebecca sends Jacob to her brother. So this is, La- uh, Laban is Jacob's uncle. It says, go find Laban. You'll find him here, um, and stay with him. When Esau has cooled off, I'll call you. You can come back and, and everything will be all right. It will be hunky-dory. Life will go on. Um, it's kind of a strange expectation, right, to go from I want to kill you to, no, come on back. Welcome to our family, right? Go ahead and take my stuff. But anyway, that's what Rebecca says. Rebecca says, go find your Uncle Laban. Um, and so Jacob does. He, he, run, he, he runs off. He, he walks off, whatever. And um, I don't know how that went. I don't know. There's no indication in Scripture if he had anybody with him. Or if he was out there wandering by himself, I like to picture him wandering by himself through the wilderness. It's kind of like one of those movie montages, right, where he's like trying to scrap through tree branches or catching his hair and all that kind of stuff. And he's, there's flashbacks of like, oh, what have I done? Some kind of realization of how he's ruined his life or whatever. Um, and then uh, as, he, as he comes to uh, a town that is close to where he is going, to where Laban should be, he runs into some shepherds. And some shepherds are are, are coming to water their sheep at the well, and they say, all right, uh," or or they're going to do that. And Jacob says, ooh, maybe these guys know my uncle. Hey, guys, do you know Laban? Do you know know Laban? And they're like, "Uh, yeah, actually, we do. We do know Laban. In fact, if you look over your shoulder over there, his daughter Rachel is walking this way with some sheep. She's a shepherd, and she's bringing her sheep to the well to water. Movie scene again, right? This is a movie scene, Slow motion, Jacob turns. You gotta, you gotta get the slow blink in there, right? And he turns and he looks over his shoulder, cut to Rachel. Rachel is just walking. Of course, she's not looking at the camera because it's a movie scene and she has to look up, do the slow blink. But she's walking, she looks up to the camera. She probably does a hair flip. Light <laughs> shines down on her from above and Jacob, cut back to Jacob, and he's just like, aww, Right? She's gorgeous. She's gorgeous. And important to note, it's Rachel, Laban's daughter, his uncle's daughter, his first cousin. Perfect, right? Not in our minds, but in their minds, right? It's his first cousin. Like, this is a match made in heaven. She is gorgeous. This is my uncle's daughter. We're going to keep it in the family. It's going to be perfect, right? Always right. That's right. Uh, But that's the way it was. That's the way it was, okay? So he sees Rachel and he's like, wow. And he runs over to her. He kisses her. I think more excited that he found out where he's going. Not like, I gotta kiss you. We gotta make out right now. More like, uh, I'm excited to see you. And she runs off, says, hey, Laban, uncle, dad, whatever. uh, Your your nephew is here. I found your nephew. He runs over, gets gets Jacob, brings him back to his house. He stays there for about a month. Um, I think that says that in scripture. I can't remember. Uh, Anyway. I was thinking about a month. I think it was about a month. Uh, Anyway, Genesis 29, starting at verse 15 is where we're gonna go for the scripture, and this is what it says. "'Then Laban said to Jacob, "'Because you are my relative, "'should you therefore serve me for nothing? "'Tell me, what shall your wages be?' "'Now Laban, who had had two daughters, "'the name of the older was Leah, "'the name of the younger was Rachel, "'and Leah's eyes were weak, "'but Rachel was beautiful of form and face.' Now, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, After seven years, Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my time is completed that I may go into her. Laban gathered all his men in the place, uh, excuse me, all the men of the place and made a feast. Now in the evening, he took his daughter Leah, not Rachel, took his daughter Leah and brought her to him and Jacob went into her. Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as his maid, so it came about in the morning that behold, it was Leah. We're gonna pause just a second, all right? I'm gonna assume that Jacob was drunk, okay? He was intoxicated. He had to be. That's what, uh, it doesn't say that, but there was a feast, and I'm guessing not just a feast of food, there was a feast of drink, and he had a little bit too much to drink. That's the way Laban was able to pull the wool over his eyes in this way, because, man, if you work seven years to marry this girl, and this girl comes into your tent, no, I don't think so, right? That's gonna be a pretty hard sell for me. Um, But it happened, And maybe he was drunk, maybe he wasn't, I don't know. But then it says, continue on, verse 25. And then Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you've done to me? When it all clears up in the morning, what is this that you've done to me? Was it not Rachel that I served? uh, Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? But Laban said, it is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also for your service for which you will serve me for another seven years. Jacob did so and he completed her week and he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as his wife. Laban also gave his maid, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her maid. And so Jacob went into Rachel also and indeed he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah, more than Leah. And he served with Laban for another seven years. So here's what you got. Jacob and Laban agree to this deal. Jacob and Laban agree that he will work, that Jacob will work for seven years for Laban. And he's not gonna pay him a cent, right? This is free labor, Jacob is gonna work for Laban for seven years, and at the end of that time, his wages, his payment is gonna be that he is allowed to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel. That's the deal that that, that Jacob agrees to, that's the deal. Actually, that Laban agrees to, Laban says, perfect deal, we'll do that. You can marry my daughter at the end of seven years uh, after you work for me, right? And at the end of seven years, Laban uh, gets Jacob drunk again, my version, sends his daughter Leah to Jacob instead of Rachel, and when things clear up in the morning, Jacob realizes he's been tricked. This is not, my, this is not the deal. This is not what I agreed to. This is not um, what I was expecting, for, expecting or hoping for. And so Laban says, well, you know, it's not really our custom. We gotta marry off the older before the younger. So you can still have Rachel, but you're gonna have to work another seven years for it. And Jacob says, all right, I'll do that, right? I'll do that. Now, there's a whole lot of cultural stuff going on here, right? That We got to understand the context of this. Number one, of course, he's marrying his first cousin. That's, that's icky, right, to us. We don't get that. But again, you kept it in the family, you kept it close. That helped create strong family ties um, in the carrying on of that family name. And so they did that. Uh, it's not strange in this scenario. Number two, this whole exchange, uh, the idea of like an exchange of goods or services or money in order for uh, a bride. That feels icky to us too, a little bit, doesn't it? Um, it's, it, it feels like Laban is selling his daughter uh, for the price. And actually, it, it comes from a tradition, that, that whole idea of, 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 it's called a bride price or bride wealth um, is a better understanding of it. But that idea comes from, from, from the, the, well, let me say this, The pure version of that, okay, the pure unaltered like uh, version of that is it's not a selling fee, okay? It's not a price that you're paying. The pure version of that is that the suitor would come to the father and say, I would like to marry your daughter. And the father essentially says, great, prove to me that you can take care of her. And the suitor says, okay, here's $10,000, I see, look, I've got all this money I can give to you. I will prove to you that I am worthy. Jacob doesn't have any money. So uh, in some of these cases, when somebody doesn't have any money, Jacob's just kind of wandering from his family. Yes, he has the birthright. Yes, he has the blessing, but he had to run. Isaac is still living. So he doesn't have any of that stuff. Again, I'm imagining he's by himself. He says, fine, I will work for you for seven years. I will prove my worth to you and I will prove my ability to, to uh, provide for your little girl, again, this is the pure version of it, right? By working for you for seven years. That's how dedicated I am to her. That's how, uh, I, and, and again, I will pr- prove my ability to work for you um, in that way. So that's the pure version of this, okay? So it's not like he's, uh, he's buying Rachel. It doesn't work that way. Um, even though it kind of feels like that so, because we don't have that kind of custom. It'd kind of be similar um, to a man today in our culture going to a woman's father asking to marry his daughter and the man going, all right, prove it. Prove to me that I don't have to worry about my little girl running off with you and you're not gonna take, t- take care of her or you're gonna treat her poorly. Prove it, right? Where do you work? What kind of job do you have? Um, can you really provide for her and take care of her? Usually in our culture, that conversation ends with, oh, and by the way, if you don't, you're gonna to have to answer to me, right, right? Um, so basically, Jacob is saying, listen, I don't have any money. I can't, I can't provide you this, this tr- cultural tradition, this bride wealth kind of a thing, um, but I wanna marry your daughter. I'm in love with her, and instead of having money, I will work for you for free for seven years, to show you my dedication to her and you're gonna get, again, free labor out of it. That's gonna be his wages. He names his price and that's the price that he names. That's the deal that Jacob makes. So this morning, that's kind of what I'm focusing on is the deal, okay? The deal. And as Jacob approaches this thing, I have to look at it and I'm like, For Jacob, this seems like a good deal. It seems like a good deal. This is, he named his price. Laban didn't suggest, well, why don't you work for me seven years first, and then I'll let you marry my daughter. No, Jacob says, I will work for you for seven years for free if you will let me marry your daughter. This was Jacob's idea, okay? So it's got to be a good deal in his mind. He's naming his price. Uh, maybe he was expecting Laban to go, ah, let's negotiate a little bit. How about three years? That's, that's a little much. But Jacob, or Laban says, nope, seven years, done, deal. So from the beginning, this sounds like a good deal. Jacob gets to marry the girl that he is in love with. And for Laban, man, what a price, right? I mean, seven years of free work. Uh, I mean, I would have settled for a goat and a dinner out, but hey, listen, Right? Seven years of work? Yeah, let's do that instead. So Jacob gets to marry the girl he's in love with. He gets to prove his worth to, his, to, uh, to her dad. Laban gets in return, seven years of work. Sounds like a pretty good deal. Sounds like a pretty good deal. And it might lean a little bit towards Laban. And I'm sure he's aware of that. But Jacob named his price. This is what he wanted. So he's happy with the, the, the deal. It was his idea. But with this deal, there's some stuff going on in the background that Jacob doesn't really know about, okay? So Jacob makes this deal, he's happy with this deal, but Laban's got some other stuff going on. It seems like an even deal, and Jacob trusted Laban from the very beginning. But Laban had other priorities, all right, within this deal, Laban had other priorities. I don't know at what point he decided, you know, we're going to turn this thing around and it's going to be my benefit, or if it was right away, or if it was two years in when he figured out that Jacob is a pretty good worker, uh, he's doing pretty well with my flocks, you know what, I think I can use this to my advantage. I don't know when it was, but at some point, Laban turned this thing, and he had some priorities, some other things that he was trying to accomplish with, with welcoming Jacob into his family. At some point, he saw it as an, that it would work for his advantage. And here's Jacob for seven years. Seven years, happy to work as hard as he possibly can because he knows at the end of it, the deal that he made is that he gets to take Rachel home as his bride. That's the deal that he made. Unfortunately for him, Laban had other priorities. It was not new information for Laban on the day before the wedding. This was not new information that Laban came across. It suddenly occurred to him, oh, our custom is to marry off the older before the younger. Well, what are we gonna do about this? I know, this was not new information for him. He knew the custom, Laban knew the custom. He also knows, um, <laughs> he also knows that, bless her heart, Leah has weak eyes. Now, we don't really know what that means, except that it's used in the same sentence in comparison to Rachel. It says, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was beautiful. So it's like, it's in some way it's describing Leah as like a little less beautiful, a little less desirable. She's gonna have fewer prospects, you know, that kind of a thing. I'm, listen, I'm not saying this. I'm just saying, I didn't say that's the way it should be. I'm just saying that, that Laban knows that, right? He knows that, or I think he believes that. So in some way, it's saying that Leah is not as good of a prospect for marriage as Rachel might be. Again, this is all Justin's head, all conjecture that I'm trying to get into the minds of these real people. But if Rachel is beautiful, and she's the younger one, then she's gonna have more prospects, right? Leah is older She's not gonna have as many prospects. Uh, She doesn't have somebody that's trying to to marry her at this point. So Laban's in his mind going, hmm, let's figure this out. If I wanna get the bride price for Rachel, I gotta do something with Leah first because we can't marry off the younger before the older. So how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna work this, this deal in this way? So he's got these other priorities going, okay? Laban knows that if he's gonna get the bride price for either of his daughters, that he's gonna to have to either trick somebody into marrying his older daughter or he's gonna to have to get, her, get somebody interested in her in some way and so he, he comes up with this plan. Remember when I said just a second ago that the bride price on the, the, the upfront pure level is like the man proving his worth to the father? That's the ideal version of that but what actually happens most time is what does occur here and it is the father going, how can I leverage my daughters for my wealth, okay? And that's what's going on with Laban. How can I make this situation good for me? And I think Jacob is legitimately, legitimately making this, this deal for Rachel. Like he says, I'm gonna prove myself by working seven years. Jacob is, is on, the, is on the, the, the up and up with this. Laban has other priorities and he's making this deal on the grounds of how can I leverage this poor sap's love for my daughter into a good deal for me? How can I make this good for me? I don't don't care about my daughter, I don't care about him, they aren't the priority. Lots of work and free labor is my priority. How can I take care of me? So Laban says, I know. I got this daughter. It's gonna be difficult for her to get her off my, my hands. She's the older one. That's the problem. I gotta get rid of her and get a price for her while, so that I can get Rachel because, you know, listen, Rachel, anybody, that's not gonna be a problem. And so he works out this deal and he tricks Laban. I have, again, I have no idea if that's really what Laban was thinking, but I kind of think it kind of fits with what's going on here. But any, any way you look at it, Laban's got other priorities. It's not Rachel. It's not Leah. And it's not Jacob, okay? Those are not his priorities. He had goals that were not expressed in this deal that Jacob thought he was making. So for Laban in this scenario, people were just a commodity, okay? People were a commodity. You know what a commodity is? It's like something you trade. It's a value. It brings value back. Um, It's kind of a lot like Hagar in that way. Laban kind of treats his daughters as tools for his own gain. How can I make this come out for my good on the end? But think about the emotion involved in that for the other people involved in in this story. Think about Leah. This is what you think of me, dad? Really? The only way that you can marry me off. I am so ugly. That's what you think of me. I am so ugly that you have to trick somebody into marrying me. That's what you think of me, Dad. What about Rachel? Wow. Dad, I had this guy who was so dedicated to me that he would work for seven years so that we could be married and then you go behind our back and turn this thing around so that you can gain out of it. You don't care about me. And Jacob. Laban was gonna be this man's father-in-law. He was this man's boss. He worked hard, as hard as he could. He worked his tail off for seven years. And this whole time, Laban has been lying to him. He's been putting on this facade. Oh, yes, marry my daughter. This this is great. I I love you. Come on, come into my family. Do you think Jacob will ever trust Laban again after he pulls this switch? No, I don't think so. His family was just a commodity to him, to Laban. It benefited him to have Jacob around. And that's why he kept that relationship because it was was gain for him. It was positive for Laban. Leah and Rachel, they got him 14 years of free work. 14 years, that's longer than most businesses last today. If you got an employee that's working for you for 14 years and Jacob was good at his job, later on we find out that Laban's flocks flourished under Jacob, and he got that for free. Laban had other priorities. He was trying to work some other schemes kind of behind the scenes here. Here's why this matters to us. Some of you think that this deal, the deal that Jacob made with Laban, the deal that Laban twisted and manipulated and cheated his children with. You think that's the kind of deal that you've made with God. Or you're afraid that that might just be what's happening. In the back of your mind or in the the front of your mind, you think God's got other priorities. God's, God's got something else going on here and he's trying to work a deal He's using you as a commodity just for the end purpose somehow. He's moving you, he's trading you for his gain. You've agreed to a deal that sounded really good, salvation and eternal life. But a little while into that deal, you're finding out maybe maybe that that's not the deal that God was planning to make. It feels like there's been a bait and switch. Jesus says, here's this free grace. Here's this relationship with me. Here's this eternal life, this peace, fulfillment, this joy, all of this that has been promised. It's over here. It's like a carrot. Here it is. If you just work a little longer, if you just follow me here, if you just jump through these hoops, right? Feels like all those things we've been promised, we don't get. Listen to me. God does not have other priorities. He does not have other priorities. You are his priority. Every single one of us is his priority. Relationship with you and me, that's his priority. It's the reason the universe exists. That's what drives his decisions. That's what drives his actions, what else is there? There's people who would make the argument that God's number one goal, God's number one priority is glory for himself. That he's doing what he's doing in order in the world, in order just to bring himself glory. That's the reason that everything, everything exists. Actually, I can remember really heavily leaning on that principle, preaching a sermon where I basically said that. Not in this church. But that all of creation, everything God does is absolutely about Him and about His glory. And that makes sense if you read scriptures like Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48, it says, For the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. And for my praise, I restrain it for you, in order to not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnaces of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? In my glory, I will not give to another. We read scriptures like that, and there's other scriptures out there that, that are very similar. And we come to the conclusion that everything is happening, all of this is about God's glory. It's his will, it's his purpose. There's a song on the radio right now that says, I don't care what I have to go through in this world, as long as you get the glory for it. I sing along to it. Because that's God's number one priority. But stretch that out. All my pain, all my suffering, all the abuse that I have sustained is for God's glory. God gets glory from that? And that's what He's after? So it doesn't matter to him, it doesn't matter or to me that I have to go through this as long as he gets the glory. It seems like that's not really a God who cares very much about you and me. When you play it out, he is God. He does get the glory. He is worthy of all glory. No question. No matter our circumstance, he is worthy of it all. We worship and we glorify him. We honor him. We honor his name. He is worthy of every over everything else. He is absolutely worthy of all glory regardless of our circumstance. Absolutely he is. Romans 11 uh, verse 15 it says he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation for By him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Yes, all things were created by him. All things were created through him. All things were created for him. Absolutely. He is worthy of all glory. He gets all the glory in the end from every single person, whether they want to bow their knee or not, right? It says in the end, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But if glory, and if his glory, if that's his number one concern, if that's his number one priority, why do all this? Why do all this? Why create humanity who would despise him and who would push him away and who would reject him and who would kill him? Why not stick with the angels and the cherubim who sing holy, holy, holy all day long? Why not? If his glory is his, is his highest priority, because yes, his end the end result when we recognize when we recognize who he is that he made us, that he chose us, that he rescued us, that he redeemed us, we do glorify him as an end result. But if that was his number 1 priority, he could have just jumped to that. He didn't need to go through all this other stuff. His priority is you and me. His priority is you there's no bait and switch okay he's not got this other thing up his sleeve that he's trying to do with offering you this sweet deal in order for you to jump at it and, and then he switches out and says nope it's just about me i want relationship with you ah you fell for it here's my glory i get that it's not a bait and switch he's not offering that Some of you have experienced that bait and switch. But that's not God. That's man-made religion. That's that's man-made religion where God is stringing you along for 14 years of more service in order for you to get what he's promised. We're promised joy and we're promised freedom and we're promised abundant life. We're promised to be fulfilled regardless of earthly circumstances, finding contentment, whether we have plenty or whether we have little, but I'm not finding that, we say. Well, I guess then I'm not working hard enough. I thought the deal was that I'd get it, but I guess I've got to work a little longer for it. We were promised an easy yoke and a light burden, something that's different than all the other religiosity that's out there. But I guess that was the bait and I fell for it and now it's been switched. The goodness and the freedom of undeserved grace in this bait and switch is replaced by a different form of law. We see that bait and switch, don't we? We've experienced that bait and switch. Most of us have, have, have had some run in with it, but that's not God. That's not God. That's not the deal that we agreed to. That's not the deal that he's offering. Though most of us expect that and settle for it. God has offered you a deal that is not changing. And here's the deal, are you ready for it? I'm not sure. It's extreme. I'm not sure if if you can handle it. Most people can't. Here it is. I've done it for you. That's the deal. I've done it for you. His priority is you, an eternal relationship with you. Having life in him, with him, that's his priority. That's his priority, you having relationship with him. And sin has separated humanity from God. He created us for a relationship with him, that was his priority, but sin made that relationship with him in the way that he wanted it impossible. There was nothing that we could do to remedy to that, so he did it. Jesus made it possible. Jesus lived and he died and he was raised to life again. He's already done it. He's already done it. That's the deal, and the deal's not changing. It's not changing. New life in him begins the moment you say, Yes. And there's no bait and switch. He's not offering you, I've done it, to get you to agree to it, only to then switch it and say, well, I've done it as long as you do A, B, and C. I've done it as long as you, as long as you, you or once you do A, B, and C, or as long as you keep doing A, B, and C, there is no renegotiation. The deal doesn't change. There's no canceling the contract because he has no other priority than to make possible the relationship with you and to be in that relationship with you. He's not going back on his end. He's done it. So God doesn't have other priorities. God's not offering you a change, uh, a deal that's changing, and God has offered you a deal that's clear. If you want life, he's done it. He's done it for you. I know grace seems too good to be true. Seems like there's gotta be a catch. Life experience tells us, "Uh, it's too good to be true, I don't know. There's gotta be something out there. There's gotta be something, something, he's working something, he's doing something, and I'm not sure about it. but grace, it seems too good to be true, but it's not, it's true. It seems like maybe we need to balance grace with law, right? We, but we need to balance it. There, there's a balance there, but listen, grace replaced law. Hebrews, the, the book of Hebrews says that the new came because the old wasn't good enough. Grace came because law wasn't good enough. Grace replaces law, and as soon as you try and balance grace with law, it's not grace anymore. God has offered you a deal that's clear. I've done it for you. If you accept my gift of grace, you're made new. You're made right. You're with me. You're in relationship with me, with my spirit in you. It's not lawyer speak, it's clear. It means what it means. He said what he means. There's no loopholes. You can't get around it. That's the deal we want. That's the deal that most of us agreed to, but that's the deal that most of us are scared may not really exist. Well, no, that can't be real. He can't really mean that he's forgiven all my sin, now, past, future, before I even do it. That can't be real. It's real, it's real. Maybe you agreed to it, but you're not sure that it took. 2 Corinthians says five, 5 says that when we live by faith, or we live by faith, not by sight. You may not see it, but it took. It took. Even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, you are his number one priority. He wants real relationship with you. Not fake relationship, not a relationship where we're jumping through the hoops to get the carrot, he placed the carrot in your lap. He placed the relationship in your lap. And now he says, let's go, let's live, let's live. You and me, me and you. Do you want that? Maybe you don't have it, but you want it. Do you want it? So I'm not asking if your mom has a relationship with God. I'm asking if you do. I'm asking if you do. Put that first line up there. He came that you might have life beyond your wildest dreams because he's able to do more than you could ever ask or imagine. It's from John 10.10 and Ephesians 3.20. If you agree with him that he is God, and that his death and resurrection gives you real life, if you accept that gift, you will be born again. You will be born as a new creature. Romans ten ten, John three, and first second Corinthians five again. He's done it. Will you accept it? Not religion not doing the right thing and saying the right thing, will you embrace the relationship that he's offering? I'm not asking if you're religious, I'm not asking if you're spiritual. I'm not asking if your family goes to church. I'm asking if you have said yes to Jesus. Do you believe that he could really love you that much? To have done it all for you, for nothing in return, just because he wants relationship with you. I believe there's somebody who wants that deal this morning. I wrote this on Thursday. This morning I got up and said, God, why am I offering that? There's not gonna be anybody there who doesn't know you. Why am I offering that? Jesus said, what does it matter to you? (laughs) (laughs) So I believe somebody needs to know it this morning and somebody needs to hear it and somebody wants that deal this morning. You wanna be known, you wanna be loved, you wanna be accepted. There is something missing and it just might be Jesus, can I pray with you this morning? Can a member from our prayer team pray with you this morning? We wanna lead you into a new life. I don't care how long you've gone to church. You can go to church and not have life. Can we pray with you? You want to accept his gift. You want to have new life. Got to accept it and step into that relationship. Why don't the worship team come on back up? And as they do, y'all can stand to your feet too. So when Jesus says do something, then I try and do it try and be faithful in that way, whether it makes sense to me or not. And that's the truth. That's the situation here right now. I don't know if anybody wants a relationship with Jesus that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, but we wanna pray with you. You can come up and talk to me right here. You can go talk to somebody back there. We wanna lead you in that process. We wanna see somebody be born this morning. If that's you, please don't hesitate. Let's pray as the worship team gets ready. Father God, we just thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for grace. Grace doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. That you, the God of, all, of the universe, who deserves all glory and all honor, who is worthy of, of everything that, that the entire universe could give to you, would decide that beyond that, You're more concerned with a relationship with people. And you know we're not able to make that relationship happen. So you said, I've done it. I did it. I've done it. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place. Move in our hearts this morning. overpower our thoughts and our minds and our physical being in a way that we cannot deny you're in this place. Speak to us softly. Wrap your arms around us. You love us so much. We're able to crawl up in your lap. We're able to call you daddy. <laughs> King of the universe is our dad. Because you want that relationship with us. And you made it. You made it possible. So we give you our lives, Lord. We thank you. We welcome you. And we give you our lives. Move powerfully. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Justin. I hope this message has been meaningful to you today. I know many of you who listen to this podcast are not a part of our local church body. For those of you outside of our community or outside of our state, I would love to hear from you about how you discovered our church and maybe about how this ministry is impacting your life. You can reach out to us at info at capitalvineyard.org or find us on Facebook and message the church in that way. I would also let you know that you can now watch the sermon live on our YouTube channel each Sunday morning a little bit after 10.45 a.m. The audio will begin as soon as the sermon starts. Either way, God bless you, and I hope you continue to grow and to mature in Christ in who he has already made you as his righteous and redeemed child. Amen, and God bless you.